This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we are going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? All right, Ryan. Once again, you are still recording from a distant location, so your mic may sound just slightly different than usual. But holy cow, Ryan, do we have a lot of news to talk about on today's show. Like, it's been, you know, a relatively quiet start to 2024, but it feels like uh, the floodgates have certainly opened uh, on the news Past few anyway. weeks, for sure. And it, and it felt like news was so slow at the end of last year because of the strikes. It's kind of nice that, okay, hey, Hollywood's still doing stuff. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff to talk about here. So um, last week, Disney had an earnings call and uh, they revealed several things that we'll talk about. But I think maybe the most surprising to me was that a Moana sequel is coming to theaters. And not only that, it's coming to theaters this November. So I was kind of just like taken aback by that. Like, wait a second, you're telling me that they were able to, you know, with all of the the work and the development that goes into, uh, you know, full animated feature length film like this, they were able to make an entire sequel that's almost done basically uh, in the, in the grand scheme of things and keep that secret for this long. Like movies like that are typically in the works for years. Right. And then it came out very quickly afterwards that it's basically just a revamped version of a Moana uh, TV show that they were developing. And so apparently Bob Iger and the folks at Disney said, Hey, we really you know liked what we saw here and we decided to make this, uh, a theatrical release and and sort of um, condense this down into a movie instead. So, uh, what was your reaction to this, Ryan? It says a lot. Um, I th- I think it, it's essentially what it reads like to me is like a lot of these Disney Plus shows have kind of played out like in the way that like the days of Disney direct to video sequels and things have sort of been. Um, and so it does sort of feel like they are taking like the Aladdin return of Jafar version of Moana two and sort of like upping, maybe they're probably putting a lot of pressure on the animators to make everything look a little more polished. And, you know, probably, I mean, the rock hadn't been confirmed to reprise his role and some of that stuff. So I'm guessing they back the money truck up to his house and be like, you know, come back for the sequel, even though we weren't going to have you back for the show. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then it, you know, and he gets to name his price and they're like, so be it and whatever. And, um, I will say as, as much as it, it feels a little like uncreative to take a show, uh, and then just turn it into a movie, even though that wasn't the plan. 
I completely see why they're doing it. Like it, Moana made a ton of money. People loved it. And it's still, as Bob Iger said in that earnings call, it was streamed over a billion minutes last year on Disney plus, And it was their top streamed movie. So like, it makes more sense as a movie. Like, yes, you probably would have gotten people to stream that show, but what's going to happen now is they're going to release this in theaters. It'll make what it makes. So even if it's not a huge hit, it generates, you know, money and buzz that way. And then it'll still go to Disney plus and those people will still stream it and it might still generate subscribers. And so you'll kind of get the best of both worlds out of it. And that seems to be more the way we're going with this streaming stuff at this point, unless you're Netflix, of course. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, like to me, this whole thing just kind of reeks of desperation, right? Like it's so clear to me that Disney is like, oh, we're in trouble. The things that we have tried recently have not worked nearly as well as they seemed to on paper or that we thought they were going to. So because Moana was such a huge success, we have to do this to sort of like help turn the, you know, right, right the ship or whatever, like turn things around. Um, Yeah, there's a little bit of desperation to it, but I also think there's a bit of like rational strategy to it. Whereas like making expensive stuff directly to streaming doesn't tend to work out very well. And I think this is a little bit of rationalizing that, right? Of like, all right, look, we can't keep spending fortunes on on this Disney Plus stuff if it's not like, you know, making sense financially at the end of the day. And so I do think there's a bit of like rationality underneath the desperation. And I and I also will say, as you and I have talked about many, many times, the year could use some more big releases. And I do think this is a this is will we'll be welcome around the Thanksgiving um, box office to sort of help, you know, bring those numbers up. So, uh, you know, I, as cynical as one can feel about it, I do sort of have a bit more of a positive spin on it, I think. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question I have is like, uh, do you think that this is going to be a big success? Because it's, it's Disney um, doubling down on sequels, which we'll talk about again in just a minute. Um, but, you know, we saw with like, Indiana Jones, for example, that's a sequel and that performed not nearly as well as Disney was hoping. Um, you know, there have been several examples of like high profile sequels over the past couple of years, especially from Disney. I'm thinking of like the Marvels is another one, right? Um, that just like straight up, if not bombed, then uh, then straight up did not perform nearly as well as they thought. So like the idea of Disney just saying, hey, we're doubling down on sequels. Um, I don't know. To me, it kind of just feels like an old uh, methodology, like an old um, mentality, an old way of thinking about what audiences want. And I'm, I'm just not sure, like, yes, maybe you'll get, uh, maybe it does make more financial sense to condense this project down, release it as a movie, it essentially serves as advertising for the Disney Plus um, uh, experience that people might have had with it anyway, right? But like, I don't know, I, I just wonder if this doubling and tripling down on sequels is the right move here. But I don't know. What do you think about that? I do think there's an element of this is this is solving a short-term problem, not the long-term problem. And the long-term problem being that Disney needs new IP and new franchises as well. And what Disney used to be very good at doing, and I don't know if I should say used to yet, but the where they would, yes, they would make sequels to the successful movies because it made sense. Frozen made a ton of money and Frozen 2 made even more money. So, you know, like that they're good at this. Um, Moana 2 always would have made sense. Like the first movie made a ton of money. This is what Disney does. But at the same time, what you should have had in there as well then is then like maybe Wish would have become a hit or Strange World would have become a hit or, you know, some of these other things that they cooked up in the meantime would have 
generated a potential new franchise as well. Disney never abandoned originals along the way. So right now, I think, you know, this is part of the strategy, sure, but where what they're missing, Adam, what is easier said than done is, well, okay, how do you create something new and original that also works? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think this is part of the equation for Disney, but it can't be all of it. Yeah, Uh, we know that the original directors of the first Moana are not coming back for this. It's going to be directed by a guy named Dave Derrick Jr. And then um, importantly, crucially, Lin-Manuel Miranda is not involved with the sequel. And he was a big part of the success of the first film by writing the music for that. So he's not back. So, you know, that, that I think is just like, you know, those things, those creative voices not being there are remnants of the fact that this was meant to be a TV show. And now well, right. like, and it, and it says a lot about like, I think part of looking again, it, it's not like exact. I, this is not me speaking to the quality of it or whatever, but like the fact that this was going to be a TV show and that those people weren't involved implies to me that it was going to be a hell of a lot cheaper. And so I think that yes, they're going to spend some money to get this theater ready, but I think in the end, it's probably going to end up being a lot cheaper than some of their other projects. Mm. So I do think that sort of probably helps its case a little bit. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, we'll see how it ends up going. I, I hope it doesn't feel like what this announcement uh, felt like to me, which is that sort of like sweaty desperation. I hope it, yeah. it ends up feeling like, you know, you could never tell the difference kind of thing. So um, we'll see. And that comes out, I think, November 27th, I believe is the, is the date on that uh, of this year, which is, yeah, wild. So um, and then looking ahead to the, the more sort of doubling and tripling down on sequels, we've known for a little while that they've had uh, projects like Zootopia 2, Frozen 3, and Toy Story 5 in the works. And now those movies have, if not release dates, then at least release windows. Zootopia 2 is coming in 2025. Uh, Frozen 3 and Toy Story 5 are coming in 2026. And then we also learned that um, The Mandalorian and Grogu, the John Favreau-directed Star Wars movie, is also going to be coming in 2026. So uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of that, Ryan, or if there's anything more to, to parse there. But uh, what do you uh, think? This, le- this leans into the same thing I was talking about, where Frozen 2 is the highest grossing animated movie of all time, if you don't count the Lion King remake. Um, you know, uh, Toy Story 4 made over a billion dollars, uh, Zootopia made over a billion dollars. Like these are all movies you, <sighs> Toy Story 5 seems like tempting God, tempting fate to me, but like it, it, cause it's, it's unbelievable. Toy Story 4 was as good as it was. And after Toy Story 3 seemed like the perfect ending. So that one I'm nervous about, but the other ones make total sense to me. As far as the Mandalorian and Grogu goes, um, 2026 seems right, but my concern is Disney currently has two Star Wars movies slated for 2026, both May and December. And I'm really hoping that doesn't stick because the two in one year thing is a bit dicey, I think. Mm-hmm. But, well, you know, that that's about all I got on that. Okay. Uh, well, you mentioned um, the uh, animated or the, the live action, quote unquote, Lion King movie. And that, speaking of sequels, actually does have a sequel that's coming out this year, which uh, Barry Jenkins directed. I think it's called Mufasa, the Lion King, yep. which is uh, a prequel film um, i think so. it's like part prequel part sequel it's one of those like back what I, my understanding is that it's a little bit of back and forth there it's like a godfather 2 type thing if i'm not mistaken okay um uh that's a movie that i think sneakily might make a ton of money this year uh and and you know but yeah again disney doing what it does yep uh okay so let's take a break and then we'll come back we have a ton more news to talk about 
All right, so this one is uh, squarely in your interest set, Ryan, which is the Jurassic World reboot, the the new uh, Jurassic World movie. Uh, we thought, we talked about in a previous episode of this podcast, had found its director in the form of David Leach, who's directed uh, Deadpool 2 and Atomic Blonde and a, was the co-director in the original John Wick. Uh, but now he has left that project and the hunt is on for a new director. What do you make of this one, Ryan? Uh, Universal is trying to stick to a timeline here. Um, they have been developing this movie quietly behind the scenes, uh, and it seems to be more ready than we think it is. But that being the case, it's like a studio and producer-developed thing, and they're now trying to get a director on board to execute a vision that already exists. For an established director, that's not as exciting, right? So I think like what... But you also need a guy who can go in there, run and gun, shoot, get this done because they want this out in July of next year. Mm -hmm. um, so I imagine like the paycheck was appealing to Leach. I imagine he went in there with his idea of how to execute that idea. And the studio was probably like, mm, we kind of need to stick to this. And he's like, you know, he's going to be a guy that's got other work in front of him. So he, he didn't need this. And I, I'm guessing that they, they said it was a mutual parting of ways. And I'm guessing that's, mostly true but uh but now they got to really get someone fast right like they don't have a lot of time if they want to stick to this timeline and it seems very much like they do so uh they seem more committed to the release date than they did to david leach yes yeah one of the reports that i saw indicated that like um there wasn't universal was not being flexible in terms of um the director being able to bring his own ideas to this like they really wanted to stick with I guess what David Kep had done uh, in terms of writing the screenplay. So it seems like they're definitely married to Kep's vision of this. And now I'm wondering if they're just going to get him to direct it because he knows the story well enough. Cause he obviously wrote it. Um, if like somebody like Louis Leterrier wasn't already attached to direct, uh, to direct uh, fast 11, I feel like he would be maybe a good fit for this. Yeah. Um, that, but that was my thing is like, they want a guy they trust. They want a guy who can do sort of a gun for hire job and do it. Well, like I was joking, like if they didn't call Justin Lin already, they might try, <laughs> you know, cause they know, uh, the other guy that, Oh, uh, you know, the other, there, there's some other people that came to mind for me a little bit. Like Gareth Edwards has not announced what he's doing after the creator. And I know that movie didn't make a lot of money, but it proved that he can do a lot with the littles and, I think they clearly want to keep the budget reasonable for this one. And they want to make sure that, you know, it's, it's on time and on schedule. So I, I feel like he might be getting a call, but I was, I was looking around. I'm like, I don't know. It's going to be hard to get like an experienced director to sign on for this. So we'll see. Yeah. I was wondering about maybe like F Gary gray or something who has like some fast and furious experience. So he's worked with universal before. Um, yeah, he, but, but I, I, although his style, I can't see him doing a Jurassic movie. Like I, I, I would like that. I love his movies, but I, but I, I'm thinking of someone who I could sort of see stepping into that world specifically. Mm. Um, and yeah, Gareth Edwards was weirdly the guy where I'm like, you know, if that came up, it wouldn't surprise me, but uh, who knows? But there, uh, but I imagine we're not going to wait long here cause they're going to, they're going to need to get this done quick. So, so as a big Jurassic fan, Ryan, do you still have confidence in this movie or is this like, um, announcement or premature announcement and then announcement now of this parting of ways? Does this, uh, really like send shivers up your spine as a fan. I wouldn't say shivers. I wasn't thrilled about David Lee. I like David Lee's movies a lot. He just didn't seem like the best fit for this for me. Um, so I, I, in choosing optimism, I'm sort of believing that they love what David kept did. And 
and they want to stick to that. And I think they're, ex- and hopefully they're just excited about that. Um, mm. I'm, I'm attempting to stay optimistic until which time I am no longer able to. Okay. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm choosing optimism here. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of being optimistic, uh, Denzel Washington and Spike Lee are reteaming, which first of all, I'm just excited about that because they've worked together, I think four times before, uh, yeah, Mo Better Blues, um, Malcolm X, he got game and inside man. And now they're making their fifth movie and they're working on a remake of one of the greatest thrillers of all time, which is Akira Kurosawa's. Uh, 1960s movie high and low um have you ever seen this by any chance ryan i have not i'm uh kurosawa was a shameful blind spot for me in uh, my classic movie watching uh, uh you know uh ways and uh yeah to my great shame i've not seen this movie i would recommend starting with this one because it is just top tier filmmaking i just saw it for the first time like a couple of years ago i talked about it on the podcast it like blew my mind. It's, it's like lights out filmmaking from one of the greatest of of all time. And it is just a, a truly riveting kidnapping thriller. Um, just really, really wonderful stuff. And I have no idea if Spike Lee is going to be able to top what Kurosawa did, but I'm kind of excited. Like normally I would see news about, Oh, a remake of a classic thing and just kind of roll my eyes at it. But for some reason, the combination of Spike Lee and Denzel Washington with this specific subject matter actually has me excited to see what they do here. So didn't Spike uh, Lee do the old boy remake? He did, yes, and that's maybe part of the reason why I would normally roll my eyes, especially because you've got like maybe not the best track record in terms of remaking classics, but uh, I don't know, man. There's something like Josh Brolin was in the uh, Old Boy remake, and like no offense to Josh Brolin, but he's no Denzel Washington, you know, and like I feel like Spike and Denzel just have like something special as a uh, a collaborative team. Look, it's two special guys getting back together like i i look denzel is still one of the best we've got like full stop and yeah yeah him with spike lee like i'm with you like i don't know much about this but i'm like oh hell yeah let's go and it's apple behind it again so they're gonna throw money at it so like let's go you know yeah like, i think i think a joint production between um apple tv plus and uh a24 so um yeah it seems like it's gonna be uh, a theatrical release and um who knows like i think it's supposed to start filming like next month so like depending on how quickly they go like maybe we'll see this even roll out like by the end of this year or something like that that Um, would be shocking but also like if they i gotta imagine if you're making this you're thinking oscars right so like do you want to wait till the next year i I know yeah it's either going to be a really long wait or like a like shockingly short wait and i'm not sure which one's gonna be yet uh, okay, so the next thing we have here is um, Bob Odenkirk is making another action movie. Um, where do you stand on Nobody, Ryan, the, the 2021 uh, movie that had Bob Odenkirk step into a, an action role for the first time? I've not met a single person that likes Nobody more than I like Nobody. Um, <laughs> I love that movie, like, and I've rewatched it a ton of times. I straight up love that movie. Um, so yeah, I am all for this. So, okay, this new movie, I believe, is called Normal, and this one is going to be, uh, basically, it's going to reunite, or or not reunite, it's going to unite Bob Odenkirk with director Ben Wheatley, who has worked on things like Free Fire and High Rise and recently uh, Meg 2, The Trench, and it's described as a crime thriller, and uh, Bob Odenkirk is going to be playing basically the the sheriff of a town. It's like a a neo-Western action movie. 
And the premise is, I'll, I'll see if I can pull this up here exactly. Uh, he plays a character named Ulysses. He is uh, a temporary sheriff in a small town called Normal. And uh, let's see, the quote is that Ulysses will be running away from the demons of his past who has taken over in the sleepy town of Normal after the untimely death of the town's original lawman. But when the town's bank is robbed by outsiders, Ulysses uncovers a deep criminal conspiracy at the heart of Normal and realizes that everyone in town from the bartender to the priest is in on it. Um, we know that Derek Kolstad is writing the screenplay for this, and he is one of the writers of the John Wick movies. Uh, he also, I believe, worked on uh, on Nobody as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you said you were into this, Ryan. Like, are, like, where does this rank on the hype meter for you? It's up there. I mean, Ben Wheatley, especially. Uh, like, uh, if you if you haven't seen Free Fire, please, please go watch Free Fire. It's a blast. Um, and, uh, yeah, this feels more like his comfort zone. Like make two was definitely like him finally getting a blockbuster job. And I think he did his job and it just, you know, things did went the way they went. But, um, this feels like him returning to what he does best. Mm -hmm. And I am just like very, very, very excited about this. Uh, more than I would be for a nobody sequel, to be totally honest. Like the idea of like Bob Odenkirk is like a grizzled sheriff is not something I knew I needed until now. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, I, depending on how like the surrounding cast sort of works out, you know, I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah. Odenkirk has described this uh, or has like basically likened this to the early born movies. And he has said that there is quote, an M night Shyamalan level of suspense and mystery here. So I, I don't know if I fully uh, am on board with that or like believe that that's the case. Cause this doesn't really sound like a mystery movie. And that's, I mean, Shyamalan like certainly leans into that stuff uh, more heavily than like other parts of the genres that he works in. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this, even as somebody who I didn't really care for nobody that much. So you and I are on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of that movie. But, um, but yeah, I'm excited here. I feel like all the, the pieces are in place for this to be something cool. So, well, I feel um, like similar to the way people were all hyped about the Batman. Cause it's like, Oh, Batman doing detective work. It's like, you always see these old sheriffs in these Westerns, like just shooting people, you know, and like, sort of like, that's their, <laughs> That's their way of dealing with things. And I like the idea of sort of like a sheriff maybe doing some actual lawman stuff, some investigating and some like, there is this mystery. Let's get to the bottom of it. And like, that could be a bit of a spin, you know, on that genre and a way we don't see that often. So that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Batman, uh, the Batman part two writer has been attached to write a uh, Game of Thrones spinoff called Aegon's Conquest. So Mattson Tomlin is the uh, as the writer that we're talking about. He is uh, I think he did some uncredited work on Matt Reeves, the Batman, but he's co officially co-writing the sequel. And then he also uh, wrote uh, Keanu Reeves Berserker, which is going to be uh, an, a movie. It's like an adaptation of a comic that Reeves has been working on for a little while. So yeah, now there's a new Game of Thrones spinoff in the works. Uh, this is a show. It focuses on Aegon Targaryen's conquest of Westeros. It's going to serve as a direct prequel to House of the Dragon. And like, I don't know, man. I, I, I really loved Game of Thrones. It was like, it remains one of my favorite shows of all time. I, I know the conversation about the ending has like soured it for some people, but I feel like there's so much good stuff in there that it still ranks really, really highly for me. Uh, it's, it's just incredible TV. Um, House of the Dragon, I was not nearly as invested in, but thought it was like, okay, sure. Yeah, fine. 
they've announced the that um, basically they're doing the the Duncan Egg novellas. They're they're adapting that into uh, I think it's called a Knight of the Seven Kingdoms, which is going to be another show that's more about like basically these sort of like hedge knights who just kind of wander around the countryside and like get into adventures. It's kind of like it more seems like it has more potential to be like an adventure of the week kind of thing that I'm into. Um, but this going back to Aegon Targaryen's conquest of Westeros, where like basically the Targaryen family rides in on dragons and just sort of wrecks everyone and and takes over and tries to unite the seven kingdoms under their own uh, brutal reign of terror. Just doesn't really sound that interesting to me as the, the, uh, foundation for an entire show and the fact that it takes place like right before house of the dragon kind of just has me uninterested in the same way that frankly i get uninterested about a lot of the connectivity in the star wars universe like westeros is so expansive and there's so many corners of storytelling to dive into and for them to just go you know to this one uh, which is like a very, very big moment in Westeros history. I get that. There's a lot of dragons. People like the dragons and fire breathing. I get that. But um, I don't know, man, just like from for my own personal interests, uh, it just doesn't really align with what I would prefer for them to be doing with this uh, IP, if you want to call it that. So um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Ryan. I, I know that you've, you've spoken about your feelings on Game of Thrones in the past, but... Um, yeah, mostly that I just don't, I didn't really watch it, so I don't have a lot of, you know, but I think Mattson Tomlin, that dude must be super talented because even though we haven't seen a lot of his work, he is getting big, high profile work. So that dude must be damn good with a pen and paper because he is. Yeah, he is getting some work. Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested if like uh, listeners to the podcast feel differently about the Game of Thrones universe and these Westeros shows and stuff than I do. Or if I I don't know, I'm just, I'm just curious if I like am the outlier here um, because I haven't really had the chance to talk to really too many people about uh, this new story and the direction that HBO seems to be taking this. So I would love, love it if you guys wrote in and just let me know, you know, if you're a big Game of Thrones fan, if you care a lot about House of the Dragon, what do you think about the announcements that they're making with these shows? And what do you want to see sort of from the future of uh, these Westeros properties? I would, I would love that. So bpearson at slashfilm.com is the email address there. Um, so let's see. Uh, tell me about the new Oscars category, Ryan, that, that was announced. Uh, this was announced last week as well. Yeah, so um, beginning uh, with the 2026 Oscar, uh, Academy Awards ceremony, which will honor movies released in 2025, there will be uh, the first new category since 2002 when Best Animated Feature was first introduced, and it will honor casting, uh, essentially for casting directors and the people who are responsible for getting the casts in the movies that we love. And... Um, yeah, we don't know a whole lot more other than that. Like, why this category happened now? Like, why? You know, uh, but it's 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 very notable um, because it is, you know, happening. And uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, though, though the other thing is that a lot of people have been calling for, you know, stunt uh, to get its like you know stunt work, uh, stunt choreography to get its own category, and that obviously didn't happen. Um, so, you know, I've seen some theories as to why that is, but, uh, the, the only other really big thing here is that the, you know, ABC has been under tremendous pressure to not only get the ratings for the telecast up, but to make the telecast tight and adding another category that needs presentation uh, does not help that case. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes, but that's, that's kind of where it stands right now. Yeah. I kind of feel like they should be adding more categories because I, also agree that they should have a stunt uh they should recognize stunts in some way um and like the idea of 
introducing new categories and just sort of, sort of like um, educating the audience about how movies are made and and the departments that go into it and all that kind of stuff that the uh, true collaborative nature of making movies um i feel like is a is a good thing and like maybe if the oscars broadcast goes long like they're never going to be able to get it down to you know two hours or whatever so like i kind of feel like they they should just lean into it and uh, and just embrace it and like, yeah, start it early, which I think they're doing this year for the first time in a long, long time. Um, and just kind of like lean in and go for it. So I, I don't know. I, I hope that this like opens the floodgates for more categories to be in play, um, to be recognized. So, uh, I don't know. Like, what do you think? I, I know you mentioned the, the, um, concerns for on ABC's part, Ryan, but like, what would you like to see as somebody who cares about the Oscars and pays attention to the stuff. Do you want to see more categories in the ceremony? I mean, I'm there to watch the films get honored and I like the Oscars. I always have. And like, I, I look, I want the stunt category. Like, I think that to me makes a ton of sense. And especially like I, the, the, the reason that I'd seen a few people posit is that like, look, the casting categories, the ca- category is more likely to wind up nominating movies that are already nominated for the big awards. Right. So like the best picture movies are probably more likely to get nominated in that casting category. Whereas like the stunt category is going to end up nominating movies that are not at all like in that mix for the most part, probably. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, you know, on the one hand for me, I see that as opening up other movies that are more populist and interesting. And in a way that like, you know, so you might get viewers to care, but also it's a way to honor a different type of movie very validly. Um, whereas like, you're not just trying to shoehorn in like a popular movie for best picture. Like, so I like that idea, but again, I I can also understand why the casting director casting happened before that, because it seems like it might fall more in line with what's already happening, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. So that, that's kind of where I stand on it, but I'm, I'm just hoping that, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Like the casting thing, absolutely that deserves it. And so I'm with you. Like, Look, if the whole point of this is to honor this stuff in these movies and the process, this makes sense. Yeah. Uh, okay, so tell me about the new Predator movie that's in the works. Have you you read this story, right? Oh my God, did I ever. Uh, so uh, finally, um, we know for sure that a, a new Predator movie is happening in the aftermath of Prey, which came out in 2022, yes? Okay, uh, yes. And uh, Dan Trachtenberg, who directed uh, Prey, which was a, for those who maybe haven't seen it, a... a uh, prequel to predators set uh in the i think like it was 1700s, 1700s i think yeah, yeah. with a comanche tribe uh dealing with a predator and it was absolutely awesome and i will refuse to accept anything other than that <laughs> um and uh so dan tractor is going to direct another predator movie but it is not going to be a sequel to prey it will instead take place in another completely different timeline and the movie currently is going by a title called badlands that's what we know right now also that Disney is potentially interested in making more Predator stuff, like in starting a little Predator universe because Prey went so well, even though it was released directly to Hulu. So that's what we know. Yeah, uh, this uh, I guess the quote is that the studio is gearing up for a host of Predator projects that has Dan Trachtenberg creatively involved with all of that. So I think there was some um, worry that like, oh no, maybe they're sort of getting out in front of their skis a little bit and doing that thing where you uh, pay more attention to the building a, a, um, a wider universe instead of just like focusing in and making each entry great and sort of like 
taking your time and, and doing the step-by-step approach. Um, but I don't feel that way. I kind of feel like I have so much trust in Dan Trackenberg as a creative person that if he is involved in this, I, I know that he shares those concerns and like won't be letting stuff go willy-nilly and be you know developed and released before uh, it passes that sort of quality control uh, level. So um, I, I'm very excited to have him creatively overseeing, you know, uh, several of these projects. And I think you mentioned, like, wouldn't it be cool if one of these was like an animated thing, right? That was yeah, that was my thing. If you're going to do the expanded universe thing, like, and also I think like Predator, what we've learned about it as a franchise and what's very unique about it is that it kind of tends to work best if you just sort of make one-offs within that universe and you have one-off situations dealing with a Predator. Like, and yes, those exist in the same universe, but it is the interesting way to go about it and so i think like regardless of the medium if you make a tv show if you make an animated thing if you make a movie you you can execute that in any number of ways and so i feel like yeah like an animated series like an anime series like totally makes a ton of sense like that kong skull island animated series that was on netflix which was pretty good you know like you could totally do something like that with predator why not and like so Mm -hmm. i hope that it's not like overdoing it but that maybe, yeah, maybe there are a few things you can do and we don't just leave this property dormant. And like, you know, so I, I, I'm hope, but I agree with you that Dan Trachtenberg is to be trusted. And that's kind of where I'm at here. Yeah. The other uh, details that we know about this are um, the movie is supposed to be set sometime in the future and that it's going to have a female lead as well. So um, two things I'm, I'm psyched about. So uh, we'll have to wait and see, you know, for, for more information on Badlands. Um the fact that this is being announced now um, leads me to believe that like they're not trying to do the same uh, thing that they wanted to do originally with Prey, which was like sort of market it and release it as a surprise Predator movie, right? Like I think they they've probably Prey was such a big deal, and now the cat is out of the bag that like they can't fall back on that again. Um, so I think they're like fully leaning into the identity of like, okay, yeah, this is definitely going to be in the Predator. Oh, for sure. And also that, so. the one thing I will say too, which a lot of people have asked me, like this one is going to theaters. I know they haven't said that yet. It's going to theaters. I think Disney would rethink hugely the decision to release Prey on Hulu. And I know why they did it, but I think that there's no way they do that again. I think this is mm-hmm. being made for theaters with theaters in mind. Okay, the last news story that we want to talk about here is a sort of a, a big surprise announcement that happened last week, which is that Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery are teaming up to create a combined sports streaming platform. Um, this is not going to have like every single uh, sports event that you care about on it, but it's going to have a pretty decent amount. And I think I've heard rumors and rumblings that like the price point for this is going to be anywhere between like 30 to $50 a month or something like that. So Ryan, you care about sports and you care about uh, access and streaming and stuff like that. What do you think about this? Uh, I guess like from a consumer perspective and then also like from a business angle, what do you think about the, these three forces teaming up to, um, to try to like, I don't know, like stave off the inevitable or like, uh, no, no, they're, they're embracing the inevitable. This is not staving anything off. This is like, okay, traditional TV's dying. Sports is what has helped keep it alive, but we can't do that forever. So like, if we all try to go out on our own here with these individual little choice bits of sports rights, it's not going to work. Yeah. Like, I guess that's what I meant by saving up, like staving off an inevitable downfall, like a, a slow oh, yes. decline into, into oblivion. Yeah. Basically. So this but, is yeah. the idea. Like, this is the way that you can make this work is that like, 
and it is amazing that they're able because it's sort of like that's what, how Hulu was founded. It was three different studios coming together to make a streaming service that made sense, and and I think that's what's happening here, and it makes total sense. It's and you and I have talked about this like sort of on the podcast and off. Like, yeah, there is a bleak future coming for traditional TV, and like I one day I remember I was telling you like sort of we were talking about some stuff and I sort of explained to you what was probably going to happen. And you were like, Jesus, that's bleak. And I'm like, yeah, well get ready for it. Yeah. And the idea is that like, essentially what's going to happen is like private equity firms are going to buy up what TV is left. They will bleed it dry until it's done. And then it goes away. And this is Disney Fox and Warner brothers taking some of their most profitable stuff and trying to find a way to make it work for them before the slow bleed happens in traditional TV. Because the transition is going to be messy, but eventually streaming will be the primary thing. And so, you know, this has to happen. And I'm glad it's them partnering up rather than trying to go out on their own because that would be messier for consumers. Um, but yeah, it is going to be a little expensive and it is going to be another streaming thing. But for sports people, this might be the only thing they care about. You know, so I know that there's been some talk of ESPN also spinning off into its own thing. So yeah, like know. that's happening next year, like for sure. I think that the wheels have been in motion for that for a long time. So like ESPN plus is going to be um, like full on sort of. It'll um, be ESPN, but streaming, it'll have everything. Yes. And so like, so I, that's my only thing with this is like, I don't know what Disney's going to do with both of those things. Like I have yeah. no idea what that's all about, but like. It, it is a major moment in like the, the streaming wars being like, okay, streaming still the future, but it's not going to work if we're all just individually doing this stuff. And so now we all got to figure out how to bundle this stuff, how to make it work for our own corporate interests. And I think this is the beginning of rebundling things, right? Like you're going to start seeing services combine, things combine, and it will whittle down to a smaller set of packages that are more expensive and essentially, you're going to be paying cable prices to be able to stream what you want to stream. And I think that's where it's all going. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. And and even, you know, there's been a lot of talk about like the from people like David Zaslav, the, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, about like how bundling is the future and and um, how they basically are just going to yeah get back to that cable model. So like uh, even outside of the sports context, I feel like some of the streaming um individual streamers and stuff like that are probably going to end up teaming up or, or joining forces in some way offering you know bundles for these different streamers and stuff like that so uh it's not just going to be sports is what i'm getting at but yeah and um, sports is like one of the primary drivers like cable pays more for espn than it does for any other channel you know so like like cable carriers do so like sports if if, if you're having sports go now like leaning harder into streaming it really is a signal of like yep okay like the end of traditional TV is upon us. That's what this signals to me. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard some rumblings that like, uh, or maybe not rumblings, but like rumors that maybe this might not even uh, go through at all because of like regulatory concerns. So they don't know a name of this streaming platform yet. They don't know the pricing yet. They haven't officially announced any of that stuff. So I guess technically we don't know if this is like really going to happen, but I feel like the three, you know, big studios behind this thing announcing this together really indicates that they are like taking this seriously anyway. So um, we'll see how it goes. But like, yeah, ESPN, ESPN2, SEC Network, uh, ACC Network, TNT, TBS, True TV, ESPN Plus, like all of this stuff is going to be included in this bundle and like hundreds of hours from NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL stuff, some college stuff as well. Um, 
the problem I think, Ryan, is that it's just not going to be everything. Like I kind of feel like if you're going to charge people, whatever it is, let's say it's $45, $50 a month. Um, and you're, you're trying to go after young people, right? Because like, that's, that's where they're aiming. Um, young people who care about sports are going to want to watch everything. They're not going to want to pay that much money. And then a game comes along that they care about. And then they're like, what the hell? This isn't covered under my thing. Now I have to like go pay elsewhere to see this thing like that. I just don't know how big of an audience this is going to have like in, in the grand scheme of things. Like I understand the business decisions and the sort of inevitability factor that we're talking about, but like how many people will this really be for who are okay with missing some key things, but like, but also okay with paying this much money and seeing the, you know, whatever it is, 75% of, of all of these uh, big sporting uh, games, matches, whatever. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like as somebody who likes sports, are you going to be like signing up for this? No, cause I'm mostly an NFL football guy. Like, like unless you count bowling as a sport, which I do, uh, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, that's about it for me. Like I'm a big NFL guy. And I think that like, so for me, I've had issues with like NFL Sunday ticket being at, um, you know, YouTube TV and it's $300 a year still. And so some of these things that I care about have gotten messier in the streaming era, And, but I think that like for your, like, if you're a sports fan in general and you just like to be able to watch sports easily, I do think this is probably going to solve most of that problem for those hardcore sports fans. Yeah. At least it it is because that's what they're going to be targeting because the individual big sporting events are still all tied up in other contracts and stuff. So like that is going to get tricky, but I do think if you're like the average guy and you're like, okay, the bulk of this stuff can be here. And every day when I just want to flip on the TV and watch sports, whatever that may be, this Mm -hmm. solves that problem for me. I think you're going to get a lot of people for that. Yeah. At least everything will be, all the games will be accessible through one app. So you don't have to like bounce around to a billion different channels or streamers or whatever to find. That's my thing. Your sports Um, fan that used to like channel flipping is going to love this, you know? And, And so I think that, you know, that's, that's the market you're going for. And I think even if this specific deal falls through, it's a notion that the, the powers that be understand where things need to go and it's got to be some form of bundling. So, yeah. So, uh, NBC universal and CBS are not going to be involved with this. And my understanding is that this stuff is not, uh, exclusive, the, the, um, streaming rights to, whatever is going to be put on this new standalone app are not going to be exclusive. So people will be able to see this stuff elsewhere or like through the existing packages that you already subscribe to or whatever. So um, it's just meant to be an easy, an easier way to watch this stuff for uh, a very specific group of people who, who care about this. So um, yeah, we'll have to see, uh, you know, what the, the actual details are when this gets announced fully um, and, and sort of fleshed out in the press. But uh, yeah, that seems like definitely a, a, a step toward um, hastening the the end of um, the, the current like traditional TV setup. So uh, we'll see how, how that all plays out. But uh, that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. You can find more about the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. 
Don't forget to take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really does help, help us out a lot. Helps us get in front of new listeners, which I would really appreciate. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.